Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Scripture says, shortest verse of the entire Bible, Jesus wept. Have you ever got so angry you started to cry? And when I was a kid, my cousin would pick on me and pick on me and pick on me. He'd get away with it until I start crying. And then it was on. And Jesus is angry about what Satan has done and how he's robbed humanity, disgusted, the stench of sin and the ravages of Satan in his silk. Jesus begins to cry. This is not an emotional boohoo. He's not going crazy like, you know, we do as we children. He's crying, though. And he's standing before the grave. Now, let me just pose the question for you thinkers in this room. And Bishop, Jesus cried because he lost his friend Lazarus. Why would Jesus cry? Jesus already told them he was about to raise him from the dead. Why would I be crying over somebody that I'm going to see just a few minutes later? Doesn't make sense. Even if we didn't know the Greek, it doesn't make sense. And by the way, let's just pay attention to the scriptures. There's a little girl who died, Jairus' daughter. No record of Jesus crying. And if Jesus is not crying at the death of babies, how's he all of a sudden dying because he feels sorry at the death of this man? These tears mean something more than him just being emotional. Jesus wept, and I asked the Lord just this week, Lord, why did you weep? Why did you cry? His response in my heart was, son, I was crying for everything that you'll ever cry for. Son, I was crying for the things that make you cry. Derek, I cry for every helpless and hopeless moment in your life. Derek, I was crying over your lostness. Derek, I was was crying on how sin and Satan has reduced you from the man you could be. Derek, I love you so much that it hurts me to see you dead too soon or short in any way. God is not some detached being off there behind the stars. He loves us enough to get angry. He loves us enough to feel. And we see Jesus doing just that at this tomb. So the Jews said, and they get it wrong like, you know, they do throughout the book. See how he loved him. Jesus did love Lazarus. This was not just a sentimental thing. Jesus wasn't just having an emotional fit. Jesus was interceding for his friends. Lazarus was a friend of God. And Jesus was standing before that cave, interceding for you and I, Lazarus. Every individual who, who, who let death rob them, let Satan and sin rob them of what could have been. He's weeping. For the two. But then some in the crowd, you always have that, you know, that little group. They said, Could not he who had opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? He said, Mary and Martha, Jesus really Lord of your life. Why'd your brother die? If you're really a Christian, a follower of Jesus, 
How come you got the IRS note on your door? If you really love Jesus, why did you lose that car and get your house repossessed? Well, the reason you're asking that question betrays the fact your spiritual foundation in your life. Let's go to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. And in spite of what some other preacher may have told you, let me tell you what the book says and what the book teaches. God is not the one that introduced humanity to pain, suffering, and death. God takes no joy in watching us suffer. He's not sadistic or masochistic. That's demonic. Stop calling God the devil. God's not the one that introduced death and suffering and pain. We did this ourselves. Bear with me. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, God advised Adam against sin. But no, just like many of us, I want to see for myself. You can't keep me back. You know, I want to be free. You know, don't, you, don't, don't put me in a, a box. You know, I, I want to experience it for myself. I, I, need to, I need to see, I need to answer these questions on my own, God. See, the issue in the garden was not about a tree. It was about the source. As long as Adam listened to God, God was the source of his life. But as soon as Adam listened to the devil, he plugged into a different source. As long as Adam was plugged into God, he lived forever. But as soon as he plugged into the devil, he got the devil's reward. He began to die. He began to shrink up. And by the way, on the surface, Adam looked the same after he ate than before he ate. And let me tell you something about sin. When you're done doing it, sometimes it seems like nothing happened. Give it time. Adam was saying, you know what, God, you're a tyrant. God, you're legalistic. I want my freedom. But sometimes freedom ain't so free. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Here's the deal. You're saying, Bishop, I don't like this part of the Bible talking about because of one man's sin, all of us are in trouble. Listen. Yeah, Adam did sin. He started the thing. But you know what? You grew up and became just like your daddy. Adam was the first to sin, but guess what? Each of us have chose and made his decision again after he did the first time. So in effect, you're saying, I agree with my daddy. I need to find out for myself. God's trying to control and dominate. Uh-uh. I, you know what? I'm going to do it my way. And I, you know what? I'm going to plug into this different source. Each of us have made the same decision Adam made. So don't just get mad at Adam. You've got to look at that man in the mirror. It says, all have what? So how did death get in here? Through sin. God was the only one in the garden that was against it and advising Adam against the sin. But now Adam takes the apple. God said, listen, dude. And the day you eat it, you're going to die, man. You're going to plug into another source, man. You're just going to get all messed up. Your wife and you are going to have problems. Your kids are going to start killing each other. Stuff's going to happen. There's going to be wars and famines and all types of stuff. Dude, don't eat the apple. Don't eat the fruit. But no, once again, no. I want to be free. I need my freedom. Then they bite the apple. And then Adam and his descendants, like God, you know, if you were loving, why are there wars? Why are there famines? Why is all this stuff going on in the globe? We blame God. He was the only one saying, don't eat it. Don't do it. Don't do it, Adam. But Adam did it anyway. 
and he was doing the same thing in your life. Don't do it. Don't stop. But we did it anyway. And it's like, God, how does this thing happen? Please don't mishear me. Everything that happens in this world is not because you sinned and done wrong. Jesus taught against that. You know, did this man sin or his parents, you know, that was born blind? And uh, Jesus, he had nothing to do with none of that. You see, we live in a fallen world. And this place is broken. And when, when you're in a broken place, guess what? You ever walk through a house that was decrepit and falling apart? Man, stuff can fall on you. You can fall through a floor. And, and, and the world we're living in is decrepit, and, and, and the ravages of sin have, have so weakened and, and it's so messed the place up. So you don't even have to sin. Just being in the planet exposes you to stop. So the issue in your life is not always, you know, Lord, did I sin? No, no, you're just in a broken environment. There are germs all over this place. There's bad stuff all over this place. And what you want to do is, 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 is just have... You know, that, that, that relationship with God that, you know, no matter what happens in this broken world, God, I know you will keep me. You know, the Lord, you know what? Though they take my house, though they take my car, what did the, the, the writer of Habakkuk say? Though there be no figs on the vine. Are you hearing me? Be going, no, no, no food in the refrigerator. Yet will I trust you. John 11 and 38. Again, they just finished saying, you know what? Couldn't this man who opened the blind eyes heal your brother? Let me tell you another little story here. There was a Cherokee Indian. He had a little son. It was time for that son to go through the rite of passage, become a man. By the way, you need to do that, with, particularly with your boys. Even if that means, you know, when they reach a certain age, you know, if you haven't done it, God will take care of it, you know. But your boys are still young enough, particularly with boys and girls. I think there's a value to it, too. Uh, but particularly with young men. You need to have some type of rite of passage. Even if that's a, a trip where y'all read through a little piece of the Bible where you teach your son to pray for the first time, whatever it is, and God will show you how to do it. But there needs to be that moment. Now, son, you're stepping into manhood. And you put your hand on that child and say, son, I'm with you and, and uh, I'm for you. But ultimately, you know what? The decisions of your life are decisions of your life. And uh, you're making choices now. And I'm releasing you into uh, a manhood. But nonetheless, this... Uh, Young Indian man, all the cultures of the world do it. We got so civilized, we stopped doing it. But, you know, even still, the, the Jewish people that do, do it today, they have bar mitzvahs. And, and there's something to that. And, uh, well, the young guy, you know, was going to become, a, you know, reach the age of majority, if you will, amongst the Cherokee. But he was only seven years old, a little, little cat, little guy. And um, his dad blindfolded him at the camp. And he said, follow me. And this was part of the rite. Every child had gone through it. And he blindfolded his son and led him to the spot, and the task was he was to stay in this spot all night by himself, and then in the morning find his way back to camp, and when he came back to camp, he'd be greeted as a man, and all night he was sitting there blindfolded, and he heard the coyotes coyoting and, and woo and all that stuff, and, and uh, he heard the slithers and the leaves thinking it might be a snake, the foxes, and Bears, every rustle at night he heard. And part of becoming a man was he had to deal with fear and he had to face this night on his own. When morning came, you kind of see, you know, little flashes of light, if you will, slivers of light through his, his blind on his eyes. Morning came, he knew it was time, I have to find my way back to camp. But when he took off 
his blindfold. He saw his dad sitting there about 20 feet away. See, God can stop certain things in our lives. But if he stops some things, it will hurt us more than help us. God sometimes intentionally lets, in this case, a brother die. And in another case, it's something else. God will create the obstacle course in your life that he knows. See, he knows what's in you. And he knows, you see, it's like, you know, those walls, you know, in the military, you have to learn to climb over in, in, in basic training. And those walls are hard on, on some people. But, but the military intensely sets those walls in place, knowing that there's something inside that soldier that has to come out before that soldier can go, go into warfare and be safe. The last thing you want to do is send a soldier that's soft in the battle. So you have to set up circumstances to thicken his thin and toughen him up in order for him to be prepared for, for life. And I, I want to be careful about what I started to say. I'm not saying God's making people die to strengthen you. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that there's certain obstacles in your way where God, you like, God, where are you? I'm trying to climb up this wall. Why is this wall in my life? Why is this wall in my way? It's immovable, God. It's hard, but God knows what he placed in you. And he knows that unless you tap into what he put inside you, you will never become who you need to be to face the things he has in the rest of your life. So sometimes there are certain things in your life that God saw fit to let remain in order for you to become who God, again, wants you to be. Scripture says here, and I'm, time is being brutal to me this, this morning. Scripture says it was a cave where they had placed the body. It was a deep, dark, and cold place, and a stone laid against that place. It was impenetrable. And Jesus looked at this, this dark place. Anybody have any dark places in your life? Any cold caves that are deeper than you want to be deep? Parts of you that you haven't yet quite resolved? And on top of it, it's been there so long, you know, there's a, there's a cold stone. Jesus, though, he says, take away the what? Now, didn't Jesus say in Mark chapter 11 that, you know, if you speak to your mountain, be removed from this place to the other, it will go. Jesus didn't need anybody to move the stone. I mean, isn't this the guy that cursed the fig tree and it died? Isn't this the guy that woke up in a boat and said, peace be still, and the storm said yes? Did Jesus need humans to move the stone? But he does this because he's operating a principle he wants all of us to see and know. God will do his part only after we do our part. And in almost every miracle, there's a place of cooperation. As glorious as this gospel is, you won't hear it unless it's preached. That's what the Bible says. God will send visions and dreams, and those things are grateful. But even in those visions and dreams, someone's preaching to you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And then after that, you got to find yourself a Bible and get in to church. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an an odor, for he has been there four days. He's been dead. How many days? What they're saying is, Jesus, I appreciate all the spiritual stuff, and, and you know what? You know, you've been saying some good stuff, and, and man, you're deep, and, and you're smart and everything, and uh, really enjoy your, your messages and, and, and sermons, but you know what, Jesus? You really don't want to go in there. Master, I got some darkness in my life. You can't bring your little church yourself. You hear what I'm saying? Now, I got some stuff a sermon can't reach. You hear what I'm saying? I got some stink that God can't handle. That was the mentality. Some of y'all think the same way. And I got some stink in me that I got to hide from everybody, including God, because they can't handle it. 
You can't handle the truth. You know what I'm saying? You can't handle. What's it? Jesus looked at it and said, how many times do I have to tell you? That's literally what it says here. Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Listen, I'm not just some preacher trying to impress you with riddles, Jesus saying. I'm just waxing eloquent. I am Emmanuel, God with you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hear me. I, you know, I appreciate hearing about the glory of God, but you know what? I don't want to just hear about it. At some point, I want to see it. And what he's saying is I let this situation in your life go on, not so you would just hear about it, but so you can finally experience. And I have found in my life, God will wait, man, invariably, until the, it's after 12 o'clock. You know, my, my, my Cinderella's turning into, a, your think, car's turning into a pumpkin and all that. I mean, it's too late, God. And, and, and you know, and God, is no way. That is what God specializes in. And many times, like, God, why didn't you do that earlier? It would be easier. But you, I'll think it was coincidence. I might think I was just smart. I might think, well, just someone liked me and helped me. But God sometimes intentionally, like, I'm going to wait till it's absolutely impossible. So see, you cannot say this was any type of coincidence. This was not just, you know what, you got friends in high places. I'm going to do something in your life where you could say, everyone watching, the only thing they can say, that was God. Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you wouldn't just hear about it, you would see in your life the glory, El Shaddai, the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Skip to 43, we're out of time. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. A lot of folks are used to real quiet services and you know, your little smoke ascending and you got little... No, a little candles lit. You just want to be a you know. But if you read the book of Revelations, it's not quiet in heaven. Heaven would thunder with worship and praise. There'd be a cacophony of sound in glory. And here, Scripture says, now everyone's crying, and, you know, it can get a little quiet at funerals unless... You know, folks are crying, and, but then when they hush down, they get quiet. In the midst of the quiet, with a loud voice, he said, Lazarus. And as I was reading this passage this week, the Lord impressed upon my heart. He said, son, some things are just for you. Not for Lonnie, not for Larry, not for Lorenzo, but for Lazarus. And there are some things with just your name on it. Are you hearing me? I used to, you know, get a little intimidated and sometimes I get competitive because you know what, you know, they got this, I got that. But I've learned over the years and, you know, you get too old for that a while, by the way. Like what's for me is for me. You know what? If God's got it for me, I'm going to get it. He'll open the door no man can shut. He'll shut the door no man can open What's for me is for me. It may not be for Lonnie. It may not be for Larry. But it's going to be for me. And he called Lazarus. This miracle is for a specific person, a friend of God. And I believe God has some miracles that are specific for you. And may I encourage you with my testimony. But when God does it in your life, it's still going to look a little bit different. 
God has a miracle with your name on it. He said, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died, what did he do? See, y'all, see you, you missed that. And again, I'm over time, but I need to say this. We, we go to God and we pray wrongly. We go to God, you know, Lazarus was dead. He's telling a dead man to do something he can't do. And he's talking to the dead man like he can't do it. He's telling Lazarus, come out of the tomb. And many of us pray that way. Lord, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick. And Lord, I'm broke, I'm broke, I'm broke, I'm broke, I'm broke. It takes no faith to say you're broke. Everybody knows you're broke. It takes faith to say, by your stripes I'm healed in the middle of the sniffles. When you got a cough, when you can't sleep, when your belly hurts. In the midst of it, now he's in a funeral, he has everyone's captive attention. He tells a dead man to do what dead man can't do. That's the way my Jesus rolls, I don't know about yours. He insists on telling me to do what I can't do. And if you're really walking with Jesus, he will find things for you to do that you have no capacity in yourself to get done. But watch this. He said it and it happened. The man who died came out. I've not made my journey to Israel yet, but I've heard from people who have been to Lazarus' tomb that, you know, the place where the body lied was uh, some many feet beneath the entrance of the tomb, meaning that Lazarus had to float, literally float. He couldn't, he can't walk. He's bound up. He's a mummy, remember? And we're about to see that because he says, uh, you know, loose him and let him go because he's wrapped up. So he couldn't walk up. He literally floated up. The glory of God reached in and grabbed that dead man. You hear what I'm saying? And he brought him to the face of the tomb. But let's watch something very important and we're trying to close here. The man who died came out, that's Lazarus, his hands and feet bound, meaning he didn't walk up there. His hand and feet are bound. So the power of God obviously lifted him and moved him. And we, you know, we, we lay hands on folks and they fall down. That's great. But I'm looking for the time where we start floating up. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm excited about that. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face still wrapped with a cloth. Imagine that. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and what? Let him go. Listen, and, and I, I, we have to be through here. Jesus could have finished the miracle. I mean, Jesus himself, when he was resurrected, he went through his wrappings. We know Peter, when he was in prison, when the angel told him to come out, his chains just fell off. Jesus, the Father, has done this intentionally because he's, he's trying to illustrate a point. You know, well, you will never become so, so, such a powerful wonder, such, such miracle operating power in your life that you won't need anybody else. God did. Now, this is what many saints do. They get born again. They don't need the church. They don't need nobody. They just go and live their life with them and God. You are wrong. You're running counter to Scripture. Bible says here, now the greatest miracle God ever does in our lives is to raise us from, from, from death, take us out of darkness, bring us into his marvelous light where we're born again. And God does that miracle, and he supernaturally lifts us. But you know what? It hasn't stopped there. There's still a role that others have to play in your life. A lot of people say, what's the relevance and function of the church? The reason God has sent certain people in the church and raised up churches and, and, and bodies like this is to help people take their, their grave clothes off. God does the miracle on the inside, but they're still bound up and wrapped up. 
And God needs men and women like us. The reason we give every Sunday, the reason why we do the things we do, why, the reason why we're building, that church, by the way, is not going to be big enough very long, but the reason why we're building new churches and the like is because God in his wisdom decides that he's not going to do very much apart from humanity, apart from his church. And he says, Lazarus, you're, man, you're a wonder. Man, what a miracle in your life. But it wasn't just going to be Lazarus and God. Jesus had to look at those that were around him, Mary and Martha in particular. He said, unbind him and what? Let him go. The assignment of the house of God, the reason why you tolerated me for the last 45, 50 minutes, because my assignment in your life is, 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 is to stop you from both living and looking like a dead person. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.